folks, and welcome or welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima, again. And this podcast was brought to you, among others, by Emil Gorgis, a Tokyo real estate agent who specializes in serving international or mixed nationality families looking for the perfect family home. So Emil's an Australian. He's been living here in Japan for the past two decades, eight years of which he's been actively buying, selling, and managing real estate properties in the city on behalf of his own family and a great many happy clients. And he also acts as a mortgage broker on behalf of his clients. So his company has a dedicated loan officer in many of the Japanese mega banks. And if you're a regular listener, you probably already know him from our JREP, the Japan Real Estate Experts panel sessions. So you're probably already aware that the man is an absolute fountain of wisdom on all things related to real estate in Japan, and in particular to family homes, the greater Tokyo metropolitan area and mortgages. And most importantly, he's incredibly generous with his time and advice, which he's more than happy to provide at no cost or commitment to anyone asking. So if you've been thinking about buying your home in Tokyo, but you've been sitting on the fence for a while, or if you just want to have a chat in English with a real expert, drop him a line on emil.gorgis, that's E-M-I-L dot G-O-R-G double E S Emil dot Gorgis at Tokyo Realty dot JP. Hit him up today and start exploring your options. All right. So for today's episode, this is another conversation that I've had with the awesome Haley Agra, the young entrepreneur that we've had here on the podcast a number of times already. She's originally from the US, now living in Japan, and she's slowly but surely putting her plan into motion to buy a home near the US military base where her parents both work, first rent it to them and at a later phase to other military base personnel. We've talked about this business model here on the podcast on several occasions, not only with her. And today we talk some more practicalities, um, mainly translations, interpretations from Japanese during the purchase process, zoning regulations, rebuilds, um, short-term rentals, insurance policies, subleases, taxation, accountants, claiming expenses as deductions. And we also touch on mortgages, renting out your property or parts of it under a home loan arrangement. And then we get into more personal stuff. And she kind of interviews me about pulling the trigger on investment and other business ideas, how I evaluate deals and conduct due diligence, uh, joint ventures versus individual investments, and some more general personal stuff too, professionalism, transparency, how to handle business mistakes. And towards the end of the conversation, she also gets a sneak peek into my new business, which you'll probably hear a whole lot more about in coming months. So make sure to listen until the very end. Enjoy our little chat, and I'll see you again on the other side. Uh, got it. All right. What are we talking about today? I had questions on the house that Chris and I will be investing in for ourselves and for my parents. And then I have Ziv's specific questions. Ziv's specific questions. I like that. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Um, First, who can I get in contact with for translating services in case Chris does not have time to um, learn the necessary language or written word for the contract? Um, Well, I mean, there's a bunch of translators and interpreters that you can hire. Um, So to actually get a a certified translation or even not a certified translation of the documents, you can just outsource that online to someone and they'll just review the documents and give that to you. 
uh, an interpreter, you'll need to actually hire somebody to come in with you to sign the um, doc for the signing meeting. So the real estate agents have a, a Taken license, which is like an official license document reader kind of thing that everybody needs mm -hmm. to um, everybody needs to be everybody needs to have involved when there are legal contracts being drawn and signed. And whoever has a Taken license is not allowed to um, go through the documents with anyone who doesn't understand them 100%. Uh, right. Not just via spoken language, but can actually read all of the legalese and kanjis and everything uh, contained in them. So right. I'm not sure what Chris's background or proficiency is. He's native. He went to school for it. And when he was in New Zealand, he took classes on the weekends. And he does all of his work in Japanese. And I'm just, I feel like he might not know specific real estate kanji. Um, so is there well, like I a mean, document I could give him and be like, here, test you? Um, well, once you get down to um, actually, you know, once you highlight the property that you want and that you actually know that you're going ahead with it, at that point, they'll give you a draft of the documents for review. Okay. Um, I mean, we, we can give you some samples and stuff, but they could be different because each judicial scrivener, a property lawyer uh, composing these documents might make might compose them a little bit differently. Okay. Um, there are templates, but not all of them will be, um, you know, exactly similar to those templates. So the best thing to do would, would be to um, go ahead with the process, you know, highlight the property that you're interested in. And then once you get a draft of the documents, um, let Chris have a look and see if he can actually read that. Okay. And also you can search online for um, real estate purchase contract template or real estate, real estate purchase uh, contract sample and just get a bunch of samples, um, just download them from whichever website you find them on and just let him have a go at it. See if you can uh, read that or not. And then if it's necessary, you can then outsource the interpreter to come to the meeting with you. Um, the online part, like actually sending the document over to be translated in advance, that would be the easy part. But if you want, right. if you need an interpreter to come with you to the contract signing meeting, that's something that you'll need to schedule a little bit in advance. So okay. um, I'm not really aware of how much they charge for this kind of service because we do that on our customers' behalf as part of the uh, fixed fee that they pay us for purchase facilitation. And right. we don't actually translate and interpret. I mean, we, we're sometimes present in a meeting if they insist on being present themselves, then we we would join them and provide interpretation services, but basically we would be doing everything on their behalf and they wouldn't need to be involved. So we don't actually gotcha. do translating and interpreting on their behalf, except in some, like we might give them summaries, you know, of important uh, sections of the document, just this is talking about this, this is talking about that, but we're not official translators. Okay. So I, I'm okay. not really aware of how much that sort of service would cost. I will look that up. Okay, so that answers that. Number two, after talking to Chris about numbers we're comfortable with, he is comfortable with investing a lot more than I am, probably okay. because he has a full-time job and the interest rates are so low here. I'm still thinking about the numbers as if I were in America investing in a house. We we're like paying 3.5% interest. So um, seven times his income... Well, that's assuming that you've actually found out whether he's eligible or not. Have you checked that? 
That's true. He had a few more questions and he needs to take a day off to go to the bank. So he's doing that, I think, after the 15th of this month. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, Okay. Uh, Where can I find updated zoning regulations in case we get a house that's... Um, So if you want to find those out in advance, you can just go to the local uh, Legal Affairs Bureau. I forget what the name is in Japanese. The the government entity that handles... um, property uh, construction and property ownership transfers like um, they're called the legal affairs bureau in english um but you don't really need to do that because once you're looking at an actual property that you've got in mind the agent will provide all of the zoning information related to that property as part of the okay. uh, diligence and documentation packages we're going to be providing you with yeah um, but you're you're only talking about residential rentals right as, yes. as what you're going to be doing with the property. Yes. So you'd always be in a zone that's okay for that. There's no zone that doesn't allow residential. Okay. Okay. That's good. What In what cases do, is it when it's commercial? When they have, it's like past five years, the building needs to be updated enough. Or I think I was listening to one of your podcasts and it said something about updating zoning regulations maybe you had something to do with airbnb or like um short-term rentals i'm not sure about the five years thing but basically the zoning regular i mean if you're going to be doing rentals um and in your case you're talking about uh military personnel rentals so those are normal residential leases yeah uh, it's not airbnb it doesn't fall under the minpaku legislation so any zone would be okay for that what you need to maybe think about zoning for is if you end up in the future wanting to rebuild a new property on that same land parcel, then if the house is old, then yes, the zoning, um, not the zoning, but the building restrictions might have changed in the sense that you're not going to be able to build the same size structure. Oh, okay. And in some extreme cases, like if the land parcel is really small and the house uh, almost completely fills up the entire land, then you might not be able to build up any sort of residential structure on it because um, building restrictions have changed. Okay. Uh, so you need more setback from the public uh, access road. You need a certain uh, width for the, um, the the road leading into the property for uh, emergency vehicles to be able to drive into it. Um, but that's only going to be relevant in case you're planning to rebuild the property from scratch in the future. As long as you return the concrete base that it's built on, Anything that you do will be considered a renovation, not a rebuild. So it's probably not going to be applied to you. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So you already answered the minpaku, basically. Um, so based on like residential leases and long-term leases, it wouldn't be in minpaku. Any, any zone would be okay for that. Yeah. Okay. For minpaku, it's not the zoning so much as it's a local municipality deciding where they allow or don't allow short-term stays. And it's not a part of the normal um, building zoning restrictions. It's just a a new framework that they've been allowed to uh, put in place since 2018, which allows them to say that in particular areas or particular distance um, from public facilities like a school or an elderly care facility or a museum or library or what have you, 
so a lot of municipalities have made new uh, bylaws that saying within such a distance from such a property, you can't actually have a short-term stay operation. Some of them have decided that in their respective area, you can only do short-term stays on the weekends or certain times of the year. Um, but that's not really to do, I mean, it, it's a kind of zoning, but it's, it's not the building, uh, it's not the commercial or residential zoning that you're usually referring to. Although some of yeah. them might lump that together. So they might say, okay, if it's a strictly 100% residential zone, then we don't allow any short-term stays in that area. Um, and to find that out, you go to your local, um, again, I forget the name in Japanese, I'm sorry, um, okay. safety and hygiene or fire and safety. It's, it's, a, it's a division of your local city hall, the Kuyaksho, that handles short-term stays, among other things. Okay. Oh, but that's also, not something that's you. I mean, if you ask the agent to find out for you, then they will, but it's not going to be part of the normal due diligence that you're going to be getting about building restrictions. So you okay. do need to ask them about that specifically. Yeah. Because I could foresee myself living there and Chris living there in the future and then like renting out a room short term. And I think there's like half Minpaku or something like yeah, so that, that's, I mean, Minpaku usually refers to that sort of arrangement of people actually renting out rooms in their home or maybe yeah. casually renting out the home when they're away. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if you're subleasing a room at your place to somebody who's going to be staying there for a month or more, you're going to be doing that with a normal tenancy lease in any case, right? Like the Minpaku, the Minpaku relevant um, issues come into effect when you're renting out by the day or by the week, you're actually having guests check in and check out. It's not okay. referring a normal kind of share house or get, um, not guest house, like a share house or um, flatmate situation is not really Minpaku. That's just a sublease. Okay, that makes sense. Um, regarding safety, I think it was uh, fire insurance, aka natural disaster insurance. Do you know a how much that costs or it differs depending on um, it, does, it does vary but it's not a huge amount if you want, let me just dig up uh, one of the recent properties that we've done so you're talking about a normal wooden house right yep yep so just going off something that we've done uh, give me a second insurance fire insurance um, let's take this one. So your typical four or five bedroom home, let's say up to 150 square meter-ish. Mm -hmm. That's usually going to be about 150 to 180,000. Let, let's call it worst case, 200,000 yen for five years. 200,000 yen. For five okay. years. Yeah. So not, not much at all. Okay. It's like 400, three, 400 bucks a year. Not bad. Mm. Okay. So if we had the sublease, how would Chris report that? He would go, he would have a piece of paper and then give it to city council or something? Part of, no, no, no. It's part of your normal income. So whatever he's reporting on his uh, tax statements every year. 
uh, whether he's using yeah. an accountant or whether he's doing it himself uh, at the tax office. He just yeah. adds that to his annual income. Okay. And it's taxed exactly the same way. But then you want to also add your um, costs that are related to the property, right? So the purchase costs, the maintenance costs, um, if he's using a property management company or, or any sort of real estate agents, all of those fees, um, just so that you can claim all of those as deductions. Because if your income goes up, you're obviously going to be paying more taxes. So it's a good idea to um, also file any deductions that you have. That's great. But it's normal. It's taxes, your normal income stream. There's no, there's no different tax levels for whether it's rental income or salary income or whatever. Oh, okay. That's good to know. Is all the same. Um, I don't do normal individuals who don't have any other income besides their job. Do they usually do their own taxes? I heard that they don't. It's just like automatic. Um, it's not automatic. It's just that their employer usually takes care of that for them. Okay. So depending on the size of the company, the the company might have an either an in-house or an outsourced accountant that provides that sort of services to employee as part of their salary package. Mm -hmm. um, but once you branch out to, um, you know, diversified sources of income, whether it's from uh, investment or real estate investment or whatever, then you probably yeah. want to hire your own accountant um, because the ones provided by your employer are not going to be handling, they're not going to be doing anything for you aside from handling your salary uh, tax requirements. Right. So they're not really being paid enough to start being creative. <laughs> Whoops, what happened there? <laughs> Probably a gaming notification. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's a, I mean, they're not, they're not being paid enough to be creative on your behalf and see how much, uh, how you can minimize your taxes. So you, it's a better idea to hire your own accountant once you go beyond just a normal salary. Okay. Hire um, and at what point would you hire your own accountant if you're someone who has a full-time job and then maybe some rental income coming in? Would you wait for another stream of income? Well, or? the moment you purchase a property, you want to get an accountant on board because to, to claim your full deductions, you need to declare that you've purchased a property uh, within the year after the purchase. Okay. And then it's called a blue form. And then that starts your claiming cycle, which you can carry on um, all of your costs forward for three years, your purchase costs at least. Um, so you want to get the accountant involved from the moment you purchase the property. Okay. Even if, would, would us putting the house under like primary residence and getting that mortgage loan, would that affect any of it? And they're saying, they're saying like, why are you renting out your primary resident home already? You just bought it. Um, well, if they find, are you talking about renting it out completely or renting out a room in the house? Um, I mean, technically, we're renting out the whole house to my parents. But, I mean, I'm going to be there pretty often. But I'm not on the... Well, if the bank room. finds out that that's what you're doing, they could call out the loan. So yeah. investment loans are not meant to be at the same terms that home loans are. Right. So the only way for you to be renting out part of your house is if you're living at 50, uh, if you're using for your personal purposes, 50% of the house or more, then you're still okay with the terms of the homeowner loan. 
Okay. But if you're not living there or if you're renting out more than 50% of the home, then you shouldn't be receiving a home loan for that. And if the bank finds out, um, they do have the legal backing to just call you, call on you to pay the remainder of the loan immediately. Um, or if they agree to maybe refinance it as an investment loan, but those are not going to be the same terms. Right. So the primary home loan versus the investment loan, do you know the differences in interest it is? Yeah, so the the homeowner loan usually is under 1% interest. Okay. And more importantly, they will give you uh, up to 100, 105%. So they're actually going to finance it fully, including purchase costs, or okay. including most of the purchase costs at least. An investment loan is usually going to be above 1%, depending on your you know, personal circumstance somewhere, let's call it between one and a half to two and a half usually. And that's going to be 60 to 70% LTV. So you're going to have to be putting down 30 to 40% cash. We interrupt this broadcast. I always wanted to say this. We interrupt this broadcast to tell you about Tokyo Family Stays. They're a short-term rentals company in Tokyo, and they offer a home away from home experience, which is just perfect for remote working, quarantining, or if you just need summer quiet to hide away from the world. So they offer a variety of options for families, for corporate relocations, or simply if you're transitioning between homes in Tokyo. Now the properties are super comfortable, tastefully furnished, fully equipped with all amenities, and they accommodate up to 10 people. So really the only thing you'll need to bring with you is your toothbrush and maybe a change of clothes. They've got fast, unlimited wireless internet, dedicated workspaces, and fully equipped kitchens, and they're just a delight to stay in, a fantastic alternative to Japanese business hotels, which if you've ever stayed in one, you probably know they're tiny, they're noisy, fine for a night or two if you're on your own, but long-term or with a family, you'll probably feel you're in a jail cell very quickly. So if you want to give yourself a sense of space and freedom by renting a real home with comfortable Western beds, including all the necessities like baby bedding, children's toys, high chairs, you definitely want to reach out to Tokyo Family Stays. They've been at it for over a decade. They're a fully licensed minpaku or short-term stay operator. And as a special bonus for our viewers and listeners, they're also throwing in a breakfast basket upon arrival for anyone who books and mentions the Japan Real Estate Podcast or NTI. And not only for guests, if you're a property owner, you've got an investment property that you want to tweak for higher profits or a holiday home that you want rented out when not in use via short-term stays, drop them a line today, see how they can help you maximize your property's income. And again, as a special bonus to our viewers and listeners, they're also offering a free audit of your existing short-term stay listings without any obligation whatsoever. So feel free to reach out to them at tokyofamilystays.com. Well worth your visit. And again, if you're in the market for a family home in or around the Tokyo metropolitan area, Emil's your man. Don't be shy to reach out to him as well at emil.gorgies, G-O-R-G-E-E-S at tokyorealty.jp. And also they're going to be a lot more picky with investment loans. They're not going to approve it for any property. Okay. Whereas so, the home loan, usually if it's not too old, not falling apart, you know, they don't care about location much because you're going to be living there. Right. Okay. So I know that Chris hasn't popped the question, but we talk about it often. Would it change if we were to say, like, this is my fiance, her parents are living there and they're paying us rent? Um, 
if you or whoever, let's put it this way, whoever is signing the loan, uh, whether yeah. it's Chris and, or Chris and yourself as co-signatory, needs yeah. to be living in the property for it to be a, a home loan. Otherwise, if gotcha. that person is not living in the property, whoever they're renting it out to, it's considered an investment. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, look, it's a different situation if, for example, if you purchase the property for yourself to live in and you've lived it in for a few months and then let's say for some reason um, you get relocated, your work takes you to another city, then while yeah. you're not living in the property, it's okay for you to be renting it out to someone. But this is under the assumption that it's a temporary arrangement and then that you've been relocated overseas or to a different location within the country for a certain period of time and you're meant to be coming back, right? Yes. So the bank yeah. is not going to come looking for you, but if for any reason they find out that, you know, it's a permanent arrangement or if, for example, you've changed your address and, you know, the, the bank sends you post and the post comes bouncing back and yeah. they will be making inquiries and they would potentially ask you to pay off the loan. Okay. Okay. And definitely if you're going to be making changes to the house, like to make it more, um, you know, more, easier to rent out and it definitely looks like for example you've subdivided it into uh, four or five single person kind of dwellings then definitely that's going to be a, a case for the bank to say that's an investment yeah that makes sense okay um, that was great for Haley questions okay. specific questions right how long did it take you or how long does it usually take for you to hop on a financial or business opportunity? How much due diligence do you have to do? Um, well, it depends on the business opportunity profile, right? Like if it's a property investment, for example, I feel fairly confident that I know what I'm doing and I've done a few of them in the past. Yeah. In which case um, I would be going to Chicago, who is the one managing our finances and um, she, on a regular basis, would tell me that we're very poor. We've got no money for anything. We can't travel. We can't buy anything. She's safe, 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 safe. But if I bring an attractive property deal to her and I say, oh, this one looks really nice. I wish we had money to buy. Then she'll suddenly find 50 or 100,000 bucks that we can actually invest. Um, so that's usually the only delay on my end is to bring it to her and get her approval to go ahead with it. Yeah. If it's a different kind of investment, like a new business or a financial opportunity, I'll usually do a bit more digging into it first, just to educate mm -hmm. myself. And it also obviously depends on what sort of capital is involved. I mean, um, for example, I was looking and still am looking at a potential uh, holiday resort in Thailand, right? So you could say that it's okay. real estate and I know what I'm talking about, but... I've never purchased or run a holiday resort um, anywhere in the world. And Thailand has its own complexities with land ownership and uh, setting up companies and so forth. So for me, that's been a process that I've been umming and ahhing about for a good few years, right? Okay, um, yeah. If it's a small kind of business, like right now I've started a, an, uh, another business that I, I haven't really needed to invest much capital in. It was mm -hmm. mostly uh, investment of my time at this stage. And yeah. so that kind of thing, I'm very happy to bounce into immediately and just see how it goes. So it really depends on the type of investment and the capital involved. Right. So would you say that you at the least spend a week like dabbling the idea of a new investment for a property or a business? Or would you say a little bit longer? For property, it can be faster than that. 
Um, because because okay. the property market in Japan moves very quickly. Um, yeah. And we've got the experience to quickly assess whether a deal is attractive or not. Mm-hmm. Um, then we would usually be happy to put in an offer within a few days. Okay. And um, just because we kind of know what we're doing. So the deal might still not go through because once we start receiving due diligence info and, you know, there's more information about the building and the tenant stuff that's just not available uh, from the get go, then we right. might still pull back. But to give it the, you know, pre-approval green light usually takes us just a few days. Okay. Um, anything else I would usually take anywhere between a few weeks to a few years to, um, to study before <laughs> I pull a trigger really specific that's good (laughs) i think it i think it's it's good to have different methods depending on what your expertise is yeah i mean uh i I know i know the areas that i know and i don't know the areas that i don't know so i'm always happy to learn but i'm not going to be pulling triggers on stuff that i have no idea about right unless it's like really cheap right like if it's like for example that um this event that we're organizing in um in fukuoka next weekend Um, the entire amount that I might potentially be losing on it, even if it was completely in the red and it's not, would be maybe a thousand dollars, right? So that kind of thing, right. maybe take a week or two to decide on, but not more than that. And okay. anything beyond that could definitely take longer, especially if I've got other investors that I'm bringing in with me, right? So if I'm right. going to be, I'll always have some skin in the game, but if um, I'm going to be putting in, let's say, ten percent or or 50% and other people are going to be joining me and putting in, uh, you know, the rest of the money, which could be the majority of the capital, Mm -hmm. um, then I would first make sure that I can present it to them knowledgeably enough for them to be maybe interested and that I'll be able to answer questions. Um, So that takes just preparation and study. Right. That makes sense. I feel like I'm doing that with the property that Chris will be putting his name on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Two, who did you look up to growing up and why? Oh, um, growing up, growing up like teen years, you mean, kind of thing? Yeah. Something that someone who inspired you to go for more. (laughs) Um, Not really financially related at all. I wasn't even remotely financially aware until my late 20s, um, right. maybe even early 30s. So for me, it was, um, I suppose, writers. Writers. Ooh, writers. Yeah, yeah. I, I was a bookworm. I used to read a lot. I still do. And I just, I just got totally enamored with people who could write beautiful phrases or explain stuff very clearly. Um, so I just, um, yeah, the people that mm. I was looking up to were people who could write. What are what is your favorite book? My favorite book. Yeah. <laughs> I can't I, I there's no way that I could I, I've got so many favorite books. I suppose if I'm just looking back at those years, like the um my teen formative, let's call it early teens to early twenties. Um yeah. Uh Richard Bach was a big one for me. Okay. He wrote Jonathan Livingstone, Seagull, and Illusions, and a bunch of other. But that's, again, that's totally not motivational, financial, entrepreneurial. It's got nothing to do with that. It's just like about being happy and maybe a little bit spiritual and stuff like that. Very cool. Mm. Uh, um, How did you start feeling comfortable in your real estate abilities or capabilities to create a business in Japan? Chicago. (laughs) 
Um, well, I don't think you're ever 100% comfortable because there's always going to be some particular area of knowledge that you're not quite um, informed on, even if you've I been doing it for a while, right? So right. I think it's more a case of being comfortable to be completely frank and open and transparent with the people that you're marketing a service to, right? So yeah. if you sort of... Um, if you sort of let people know that this is what you've been doing and this is what you think might work, but you're not sure about it and you invite them along for the ride and you give them the confidence that um, maybe you don't hundred percent know everything down to a T, but that you're definitely going to be there discovering it with them. And most importantly, having their backs when things do need attending to. And, yeah. and, I, and I've got the confidence to do that. So I guess, it, I don't know if confidence is the, is the right word, but if if you're not like fake it till you make it type, and you're not <laughs> pretending pretending that you know everything and pretending that right. you got all the answers, and you're fully transparent all along the way, and that includes often saying, "Look, we've made a mistake here and here and here, and yeah. this is how we're going to um, here's how we're going to fix it or how we're going to compensate you for it," um, then. I feel confident that I'm honest, right? I feel confident. I, I, yeah. I don't need to be looking over, uh, you know, over my shoulder to see if someone's going to be catching me at being silly or doing something that I shouldn't have done. Like we've we've had cases where we've, due to our own internal errors, we've misrepresented the property, for example, and the customer mm -hmm. ended up being out of pocket, and we just had to pay them back because it was our mistake. Yeah. As long as you're willing to do that, it's not a matter of confidence. Just be confident to be honest. I think. Yeah. I think a lot of people have tons of confidence in your business because of the transparency that you provide. So yeah. I think it's really cool. The everything that you've built with talking to people and having that online, super transparent. And that's why I was so gravitated towards contacting you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, oh, you talked about this a little bit last time you are creating a business based on investment opportunities of Japan, whether that be all the businesses or like a certain sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Um, to a point, we're still studying that. We're, okay. going, we're going forward with our first case study um, with a customer at the moment. So I'll hopefully have a little bit more information on that um, once we see how that pans out next year. But essentially, we're going to be helping people invest in businesses in Japan. So mm -hmm. um, we'll start off with franchise businesses. So that's a really easy, um, logistically and operationally, it's easier to get into because there's a franchise headquarter in place and they've got, um, I don't want to call it a blueprint, but they know how to do what they do. So they are fully involved with each and every franchisee and they're doing their best to make the business a success because they get a commission and also they got a reputation to uphold. So with franchise headquarters holding your hand throughout the process, setting up shop, um, that's a really good uh, entry, entry level sort of business that we'll be helping people get into first. And yeah. once we've got a bit more experience and we've managed, we've set up and managed, you okay? <laughs> yep, it's just make up. <laughs> so once we've uh, set up and managed a few of those on behalf of customers and we see that we know what we're doing there, and then we might try to leverage that experience into maybe starting a business from scratch for them. Gaming cafe. A what cafe? Gaming cafe. A gaming cafe. Yep. 
video games ca- video game cafes or like PC cafes are a big thing um, other mm-hmm. games not sure like I know a few people who are in that space they're not I mean they love what they're doing but they're not making huge bucks okay I have no idea I just know that I want to go to one yeah <laughs> yeah that is it for my questions awesome what's your yeah. uh, so w- w- what are your plans looking like you were talking about how much you're comfortable to invest and how how you think you're going to be structuring it with Chris. So what, what's on the, like, do you have like uh, steps, deadlines, uh, milestones? Deadlines, like not yet. Um, we're going to talk more about it after we get the pre-qualified loan. And I'm going to email Emil because Chris had a question. It was something like, uh, I think you basically answered it. He said, how do you report taxes wouldn't that raise eyebrows because it's under Chris's primary residence um so if I was living there and Chris and I were either married or about to be married that would be fine um so well not not really I mean Chris needs to be the one living there if he's the one signing the loan documents yeah yeah he when we were when I was living in Gotemba he would come every weekend. So he was basically living with us. You know, but it needs and to be his registered address. Like it needs to be the address that post goes to, the address that's on the address certificate at City Hall. It needs, if that's going to be your home, you need to be registered at that address fully. Okay. So they're not gonna I don't think that would be a problem if okay. he did. Yeah. yeah. Um, it would, we'd probably have our Amazon packages here though. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, so we're thinking of having, oh, we, we do have some timeline. So we're thinking he gets a pre-qualified loan around December. Then I talk to one of my real estate friends in Gotemba um, between January and February. And then um, hopefully we find a place. And before I go back to America and say hello to my newest first nephew congratulations uh, yeah that's crazy um then we'll probably have some contracts going um underway i think march awesome and then we would move everyone in that sounds brilliant i mean look it could be that the best thing for you to do is to get the both of you to register your address at the property and that satisfies yeah. all the home loan concerns and then, yeah. you know, if you happen to have family living with you because they're family, yeah. it's not really anyone's business uh, if anyone's, you know, helping you with household expenses or what, right? That's true. As long as we put that on his income, then it should be fine. Or is, or should we not? <laughs> should um, we not? That's totally between you and your accountant and the tax department. I okay. Know. But I'm saying from the bank, from the loan perspective, the bank doesn't care about your, I mean, they, they care about your income to grant you a loan or not. Yeah. Um, but the bank wants to know that you are living at the property. If you're living okay. at the property and then you've got other people living with you because they're family members, then that's between you and them. The bank doesn't care about that. Whether you're okay. going to be declaring you know, whatever money they give you for whatever purpose, whether it's household expenses or to pay the bills or whether it's officially called rent because you're, you know, they're renting a room from you. Even if they're renting a single room from you, but you're you're using three or four of the bedrooms aside from that, yeah. that still qualifies, that still qualifies uh, the home loan uh, 
qualification. Okay. So that's fine. That is wonderful. Um, but yeah, that's the deadlines and the timeline for what we're doing. And it seems like it's going fast, but slow at the same time. <laughs> so springish is when we're thinking we might see a property. Yeah. Awesome. Looking forward to that. And um, send me them if you want me to uh, give you like, a, you know, just uh, my two cents on any particular potential property. Don't be shy. Send them over. Okay, I will. Maybe you could do it during a meeting and I can like screen record or show so we look at them together. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. All right. Anything else? I'm good. Okay. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So there you go. An awesome nitty gritty chat with the fabulous Haley Agra. As you can probably tell, I really enjoy speaking with her. I hope to have more conversations to share with you in the future. And if you liked what you heard there towards the end about the new franchise business setup service that I'm going to be providing to investors, this should be doubly interesting, by the way, to those among you who are actually looking for a way to get a visa to actually live in Japan. It's a lot more achievable this way than it is actually via property investment. So don't be shy to reach out for a chat if this interests you at all. And again, you'll probably hear a lot more about this project in coming months. So watch or listen to this space. Now, before we go, we're also, as always, going to tell you and also link to our other sponsor's website. That's Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener. If you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis, or you're already in Japan on some sort of a temporary visa, and you want to switch to a longer term or permanent one, or if you're considering setting up a local company or a branch office of a foreign company, and you've got any sort of business or visa-related inquiries, or even if you just want to find out what your options are on any of these topics, feel free to contact Hiroshi Shimizu. You can find him at japanimmigrationexperts.com and he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and extremely affordable consultation related to these topics. And he's already done that for many of our listeners. So feel free to reach out to him. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com and you'll be well on your way. And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think. So leave us a short rating or review on the iTunes store, on Spotify, or just drop us a line in the comment section of wherever you might have found this episode. We love hearing from you. Hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, have a great day or night ahead. Yoroshiku.